section eleven of the chouan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three a day without a morrow part one the preceding events of this history having been greatly influenced by the formation of the regions in which they happened it is desirable to give a minute description of them without which the closing scenes might be difficult of comprehension the town of fougeres is partly built upon a slate rock which seems to have slipped from the mountains that hem in the broad valley of couesnon to the west and take various names according to their localities the town is separated from the mountains by a gorge through which flows a small river called the Nansen to the east the view is the same as from the summit of la pelerine to the west the town looks down into the tortuous valley of the nansan but there is a spot from which a section of the great valley and the picturesque windings of the gorge can be seen at the same time this place chosen by the inhabitants of the town for their promenade and to which the steps of mademoiselle de venouille were now turned was destined to be the theatre on which the drama begun at la vivetiere was to end therefore however picturesque the other parts of fougeres may be attention must be particularly given to the scenery which meets the eye from this terrace to give an idea of the rock on which fougeres stands as seen on this side we may compare it to one of those immense towers circled by saracen architects with balconies on each story which were reached by spiral stairways to add to this effect the rock is capped by a gothic church the small spires clock-tower and buttresses of which make its shape almost precisely that of a sugar-loaf before the portal of this church which is dedicated to saint leonard is a small irregular square where the soil is held up by a buttressed wall which forms a balustrade and communicates by a flight of steps with the promenade this public walk like a second cornice extends round the rock a few rods below the square of saint leonard it is a broad piece of ground planted with trees and it joins the fortifications of the town about ten rods below the walls and rocks which support this promenade due to a happy combination of indestructible slate and patient industry another circular road exists called the queen's staircase this is cut in the rock itself and leads to a bridge built across the nansen by anne of brittany below this road which forms a third cornice gardens descend terrace after terrace to the river like shelves covered with flowers parallel with the promenade on the other side of the nansen and across its narrow valley high rock formations called the heights of saint sulpice follow the stream and descend in gentle slopes to the great valley where they turn abruptly to the north towards the south where the town itself really ends and the faubourg saint leonard begins the fougere rock makes a bend becomes less steep and turns into the great valley following the course of the river which it hems in between itself and the heights of saint sulpice 
forming a sort of pass through which the water escapes into streamlets to the cuisnon into which they fall this pretty group of rocky hills is called the nidocroc the little vale they surround is the val de Gebari, the rich pastures of which supply the butter known to epicures as that of the privaleia at the point where the promenade joins the fortifications is a tower called the tour de papago close to this square erection against the side of which the house now occupied by mademoiselle de venille rested is a wall partly built by hands and partly formed of the native rock where it offered a smooth surface here stands a gateway leading to the faubourg of saint sulpice and bearing the same name above on a breastwork of granite which commands the three valleys rise the battlements and feudal towers of the ancient castle of fougeres one of those enormous erections built by the dukes of brittany with lofty walls fifteen feet thick protected on the east by a pond from which flows the nansan the waters of which fill its moats and on the west by the inaccessible granite rock on which it stands seen from the promenade this magnificent relic of the middle ages wrapped in its ivy mantle adorned with its square or rounded towers in either of which a whole regiment could be quartered the castle the town and the rock protected by walls with sheer surfaces or by the glassy of the fortifications form a huge horseshoe lined with precipices on which the breton have in course of ages cut various narrow footways here and there the rocks push out like architectural adornments streamlets issue from the fissures where the roots of stunted trees are nourished farther on a few rocky slopes less perpendicular than the rest afford a scanty pasture for the goats on all sides heather growing from every crevice flings its rosy garlands over the dark uneven surface of the ground at the bottom of this vast funnel the little river winds through meadows that are always cool and green lying softly like a carpet beneath the castle and among the granite boulders is a church dedicated to saint sulpice whose name is given to the suburb which lies across the nansan this suburb flung as it were to the bottom of a precipice and its church the spire of which does not rise to the height of the rocks which threaten to crush it are picturesquely watered by several affluents of the nansan shaded by trees and brightened by gardens the whole region of fougeres its suburbs its churches and the hills of saint sulpice are surrounded by the heights of Rilla, which form part of a general range of mountains enclosing the broad valley of cuisnon such are the chief features of this landscape the principal characteristics of which is rugged wildness softened by smiling accidents by a happy blending of the finest works of men's hands with the capricious lay of a land full of unexpected contrasts by a something hardly to be explained which surprises astonishes and puzzles in no other part of france can the traveller meet with such grandiose contrasts as those offered by the great basin of the cuisnon and the valleys hidden among the rocks of fougeres and the heights of Ria. their beauty is of that unspeakable kind in which chance triumphs and all the harmonies of nature do their part the clear limpid flowing waters the mountains clothed with the vigorous vegetation of those regions 
the sombre rocks the graceful buildings the fortifications raised by nature and the granite towers built by man combined with all the artifices of light and shade with the contrasts of the varieties of foliage with the group of houses where an active population swarms with the lonely barren places where the granite will not suffer even the lichen to fasten on its surface in short with all the ideas we ask a landscape to possess grace and awfulness poesy with its renaissance magic sublime pictures delightful ruralities all these are here it is brittany in bloom the tower called the papago against which the house now occupied by mademoiselle de venuille rested has its base at the very bottom of the precipice and rises to the esplanade which forms the cornice or terrace before the church of st leonard from marie's house which was open on three sides could be seen the horseshoe which begins at the tower itself the winding valley of the nanson and the square of st leonard it is one of a group of wooden buildings standing parallel with the western side of the church with which they form an alleyway the farther end of which opens on a steep street skirting the church and leading to the gate of st leonard along which mademoiselle de venuille now made her way marie naturally avoided entering the square of the church which was then above her and turned towards the promenade the magnificence of the scene which met her eyes silenced for a moment the tumult of her passions she admired the vast trend of the valley which her eyes took in from the summit of la Palerine to the plateau where the main road to vitry passes then her eyes rested on the nid au croc and the winding gorges of the val de gibari the crests of which were bathed in the misty glow of the setting sun she was almost frightened by the depth of the valley of the nanson the tallest poplars of which scarcely reached to the level of the gardens below the queen's staircase at this time of day the smoke from the houses in the suburbs and in the valleys made a vapour in the air through which the various objects had a bluish tinge the brilliant colours of the day were beginning to fade the firmament took a pearly tone the moon was casting its veil of light into the ravine all things tended to plunge the soul into reverie and bring back the memory of those beloved in a moment the scene before her was powerless to hold Paris's thoughts in vain did the setting sun cast its gold dust and its crimson sheets to the depths of the river and along the meadows and over the graceful buildings strewn among the rocks she stood immovable gazing at the heights of the mont saint sulpice the frantic hope which had led her to the promenade was miraculously realized among the gorse and bracken which grew upon those heights she was certain that she recognized in spite of the goatskins which they wore a number of the guests at la vivetiere and among them the gar whose every moment became vivid to her eyes in the softened light of the sinking sun a few steps back of the ground of men she distinguished her enemy madame du Gois. for a moment marie fancied that she dreamed but her rival's hatred soon proved to her that the dream was a living one the attention she was giving to the least little gesture of the marquis prevented her from observing the care with which madame du Gois aimed a musket at her but a shot which woke the echoes of the mountains and a ball that whistled past her warned mademoiselle de venuille of her rival's determination she sends me her card thought marie smiling 
instantly a qui vive echoing from sentry to sentry from the castle to the port st leonard proved to the chouan the alertness of the blues inasmuch as the least accessible of their ramparts was so well guarded it is she and he muttered marie to herself to seek the marquis follow his steps and overtake him was a thought that flashed like lightning through her mind i have no weapon she cried she remembered that on leaving paris she had flung into a trunk an elegant dagger formerly belonging to a sultana which she had jestingly brought with her to the theatre of war as some persons take notebooks in which to jot down their travelling ideas she was less attracted by the prospect of shedding blood than by the pleasure of wearing a pretty weapon studded with precious stones and playing with a blade that was stainless three days earlier she had deeply regretted having put this dagger in a trunk when to escape her enemies at la vivetiere she had thought for a moment of killing herself she now returned to the house found the weapon put it in her belt wrapped a large shawl round her shoulders and a black lace scarf about her hair and covered her head with one of those broad-brimmed hats distinctive of chouan which belonged to a servant of the house then with the presence of mind which excited passions often give she took the glove which ma Chatter had given her as a safeguard and saying in reply to francine's terrible looks i would seek him in hell she returned to the promenade the gar was still at the same place but alone by the direction of his telescope he seemed to be examining with the careful attention of a commander the various paths across the nansan the queen's staircase and the road leading through the port saint sulpice and round the church of that name where it meets the high road under range of the guns at the castle mademoiselle de venouille took one of the little paths made by goats and their keepers leading down from the promenade reached the staircase then the bottom of the ravine crossed the nansan and the suburb and divining like a bird in the desert her right course among the dangerous precipices of the mont saint sulpice she followed a slippery track defined upon the granite and in spite of the prickly gorse and reeds and loose stones which hindered her she climbed the steep ascent with an energy greater perhaps than that of a man the energy momentarily possessed by a woman under the influence of passion night overtook her as she endeavoured by the failing moonlight to make out the path the marquis must have taken an obstinate quest without reward for the dead silence about her was sufficient proof of the withdrawal of the chouan and their leader this effort of passion collapsed with the hope that inspired it finding herself alone after nightfall in a hostile country she began to reflect and hulot's advice together with the recollection of madame du Gua's attempt made her tremble with fear the stillness of the night so deep in mountain regions enabled her to hear the fall of every leaf even at a distance and these slight sounds vibrated on the air as though to give a measure of the silence or the solitude the wind was blowing across the heights and sweeping away the clouds with violence producing an alternation of shadows and light the effect of which increased her fears and gave fantastic and terrifying semblances to the most harmless objects she turned her eyes to the houses of fougere where the domestic lights were burning like so many earthly stars and she presently saw distinctly the tower of papa go she was but a very short distance from her own house but within that space was the ravine she remembered the declivities by which she had come and wondered if there were not more risk 
in attempting to return to frugeres than in following out the purpose which had brought her she reflected that the marquise's glove would surely protect her from the chouan and that madame de gois was the only enemy to be really feared with this idea in her mind marie clasped her dagger and tried to find the way to a country house the roofs of which she had noticed as she climbed st sulpice but she walked slowly for she suddenly became aware of the majestic solemnity which oppresses a solitary being in the night-time in the midst of wild scenery where lofty mountains nod their heads like assembled giants the rustle of her gown caught by the brambles made her tremble more than once and more than once she hastened her steps only to slacken them again as she thought her last hour had come before long matters assumed an aspect which the boldest men could not have faced without alarm and which threw mademoiselle de venouille into the sort of terror that so affects the very springs of life that all things become excessive weakness as well as strength the feeblest beings will then do deeds of amazing power the strongest go mad with fear marie heard at a short distance a number of strange sounds distinct yet vague indicative of confusion and tumult fatiguing to the ear which tried to distinguish them they came from the ground which seemed to tremble beneath the feet of a multitude of marching men a momentary clearness in the sky enabled her to perceive at a little distance long files of hideous figures waving like ears of corn and gliding like phantoms but she scarcely saw them for darkness fell again like a black curtain and hid the fearful scene which seemed to her full of yellow dazzling eyes she turned hastily and ran to the top of a bank to escape meeting three of these horrible figures who were coming towards her did you see it said one i felt a cold wind as it rushed past me replied a hoarse voice i smelt a damp and graveyard smell said the third was it white asked the first why should only he come back out of all those we left dead at la pelerine said the second why indeed replied the third why do the sacre coeur men have the preference well at any rate i'd rather die without confession than wander about as he does without eating or drinking and no blood in his body or flesh on his bones ah this exclamation or rather this fearful cry issued from the group as the three chouans pointed to the slender form and pallid face of mademoiselle de venouille who fled away with terrified rapidity without a sound here he is there he is where where he's gone no yes can you see him these cries reverberated like the monotonous murmur of waves upon a shore mademoiselle de venouille walked bravely in the direction of the house she had seen and soon came in sight of a number of persons who all fled away at her approach with every sign of panic fear she felt impelled to advance by a mysterious power which coerced her the lightness of her body which seemed to herself inexplicable was another source of terror these forms which rose in masses at her approach as if from the ground on which she trod uttered moans which were scarcely human at last she reached not without difficulty a trampled garden the hedges and fences of which were broken down stopped by a sentry she showed the glove the moon lighted her face and the muzzle of the gun already pointed at her was dropped by the chouan who uttered a hoarse cry which echoed through the place she now saw large buildings where a few lighted windows showed the rooms that were occupied and presently reached the walls without further hindrance through the window into which she looked she saw madame de gois and the leaders who were convoked at la vivetiere bewildered at the sight also by the conviction of her danger 
she turned hazily to a little opening protected by iron bars and saw in a long vaulted hall the marquis alone and gloomy within six feet of her the reflection of the fire before which he was sitting in a clumsy chair lighted his face with a vacillating ruddy glow that gave the character of a vision to the scene motionless and trembling the girl stood clinging to the bars to catch his words if he spoke seeing him so depressed disheartened and pale she believed herself to be the cause of his sadness her anger changed to pity her pity to tenderness and she suddenly knew that it was not revenge alone which had brought her there the marquis rose turned his head and stood amazed when he saw as if in a cloud mademoiselle de venouille's face then he shook his head with a gesture of impatience and contempt exclaiming must i for ever see the face of that devil even when awake this utter contempt for her forced a half-maddened laugh from the unhappy girl which made the young leader quiver he sprang to the window but mademoiselle de venouille was gone she heard the steps of a man behind her which she supposed to be those of the marquis and to escape him she knew no obstacles she would have scaled walls and flown through air she would have found and followed a path to hell sooner than have seen again in flaming letters on the forehead of that man i despise you words which an inward voice sounded in her soul with the noise of a trumpet after walking a short distance without knowing where she went she stopped conscious of a damp exhalation alarmed by the sound of voices she went down some steps which led into a cellar as she reached the last of them she stopped to listen and discover the direction her pursuers might take above the sounds from the outside which were somewhat loud she could hear within the lugubrious moans of a human being which added to her terror rays of light coming down the steps made her fear that this retreat was only too well known to her enemies and to escape them she summoned fresh energy some moments later after recovering her composure of mind it was difficult for her to conceive by what means she had been able to climb a little wall in a recess of which she was now hidden she took no notice at first of the cramped position in which she was but before long the pain of it became intolerable for she was bending double under the arched opening of a vault like the crouching venus which ignorant persons attempt to squeeze into too narrow a niche the wall which was rather thick and built of granite formed a low partition between the stairway and the cellar whence the groans were issuing presently she saw an individual clothed in a goatskin enter the cave beneath her and move about without making any sign of eager search impatient to discover if she had any chance of safety mademoiselle de venouille waited with anxiety till the light brought by the newcomer lighted the whole cave where she could partly distinguish a formless but living mass which was trying to reach a part of the wall with violent and repeated jerks something like those of a carp lying out of water on a shore a small pine torch threw its blue and hazy light into the cave in spite of the gloomy poetic effects which mademoiselle de venouille's imagination cast about this vaulted chamber which was echoing to the sounds of a pitiful prayer she was obliged to admit that the place was nothing more than an underground kitchen evidently long abandoned when the formless mass was distinguishable it proved to be a short and very fat man whose limbs were carefully bound before he had been left lying on the damp stone floor of the kitchen by those who had seized him 
when he saw the newcomer approach him with a torch in one hand and a faggot of sticks in the other the captive gave a dreadful groan which so wrought upon the sensibilities of mademoiselle de venouille that she forgot her own terror and despair and the cramped position of her limbs which were growing numb but she made a great effort and remained still the chouan flung the sticks into the fireplace after trying the strength of an old crane which was fastened to a long iron bar then he set fire to the wood with his torch marie saw with terror that the man was the same pillemiche to whom her rival had delivered her and whose figure illuminated by the flame was like that of the little boxwood men so grotesquely carved in germany the moans of his prisoner produced a broad grin upon features that were ribbed with wrinkles and tanned by the sun you see he said to his victim that we christians keep our promises which you don't that fire is going to thaw out your legs and tongue and hands hey hey i don't see a dripping pan to put under your feet they are so fat the grease may put out the fire your house must be badly furnished if it can't give its master all he wants to warm him the victim uttered a sharp cry as if he hoped some one would hear him through the ceiling and come to his assistance ho oh, sing away monsieur d'argement they are all asleep upstairs and marchater is just behind me he'll shut the cellar door while speaking pillemiche was sounding with the butt end of his musket the mantelpiece of the chimney the tiles of the floor the walls and the ovens to discover if possible where the miser hid his gold this search was made with such adroitness that d'argement kept silence as if he feared to have been betrayed by some frightened servant for though he trusted his secrets to no one his habits gave plenty of ground for logical deductions pillemiche turned several times sharply to look at his victim as children do when they try to guess by the conscious expression of the comrade who has hidden an article whether they are nearer to or farther away from it d'orgemont pretended to be alarmed when the chouan tapped the ovens which sounded hollow and seemed to wish to play upon his eager credulity just then three other chouans rushed down the steps and entered the kitchen seeing marchater among them pille miche discontinued his search after casting upon d'orgemont a look that conveyed the wrath of his balked covetousness marie l'ambrequin has come to life cried marchater proclaiming by his manner that all other interests were of no account beside this great piece of news i'm not surprised said pillemiche he took the sacrament so often the good god belonged to him ha ha observed mena abien that didn't stand him in anything at his death he hadn't received absolution before the affair at la pellerine he had cheapened gogelou's daughter and was living in mortal sin the abbe goudin said he'd have to roam round two months as a ghost before he could come to life we saw him pass us he was pale he was cold he was thin he smelt of the cemetery and his reverence says that if a ghost gets hold of a living man he can force him to be his companion said the fourth chouan the grotesque appearance of this last speaker drew marchater from the pious reflections he had been making on the accomplishment of this miracle of coming to life which according to the abbe goudin would happen to every true defender of religion and the king you see galoub chopin he said to the fourth man gravely what comes of omitting even the smallest duty commanded by our holy religion it is a warning to us given by saint anne of Auray, to be rigorous with ourselves for the slightest sin your cousin pillemiche has asked the guard to give you the surveillance of fougere 
and the gar consents and you'll be well paid but you know with what flour we bake a traitor's bread yes monsieur marchaterre and you know why i tell you that some say you like cider and gambling but you can't play heads or tails now remember you must belong to us only or by your leave monsieur marchaterre cider and stakes are two good things which don't hinder a man's salvation if my cousin commits any folly said pillemiche it will be out of ignorance in any way he commits it if harm comes said marchaterre in a voice which made the arched roof tremble my gun won't miss him you will answer for him to me he added turning to pillemiche for if he does wrong i shall take it out on the thing that fills your goat's skin but monsieur marchaterre with all due respect said galop chopin haven't you sometimes taken a counterfeit chouan for a real one my friend said marchaterre in a curt tone don't let that happen in your case or i'll cut you in two like a turnip as to the emissaries of the gar they all carry his glove but since that affair at la vevetiere the grand garce has added a green ribbon to it pillemiche nudged his comrade by the elbow and showed him dorgement who was pretending to be asleep but pillemiche and marchaterre both knew by experience that no one ever slept by the corner of their fire and though the last words said to galop chopin were almost whispered they must have been heard by the victim and the four chouans looked at him fixedly thinking perhaps that fear had deprived him of his senses suddenly at a slight sign from marchaterre pillemiche pulled off dorgement's shoes and stockings mene abien and galop chopin seized him round the body and carried him to the fire then marchaterre took one of the thongs that tied the faggots and fastened the miser's feet to the crane these actions and the horrible celerity with which they were done brought cries from the victim which became heart-rending when pillemiche gathered the burning sticks under his legs my friends my good friends screamed dorgement you hurt me you kill me i'm a christian like you you lie in your throat replied marchaterre your brother denied god and as for you you bought the abbey of juvigny the abbe goudin says we can roast apostates when we find them but my brothers in god i don't refuse to pay we gave you two weeks and it is now two months and galop chopin here hasn't received the money haven't you received any of it galop chopin asked the miser in despair none of it monsieur dorgement replied galop chopin frightened the cries which had sunk into groans continuous as the rattle in a dying throat now began again with dreadful violence accustomed to such scenes the four chouans looked at dorgement who was twisting and howling so coolly that they seemed like travellers watching before an inn fire till the roast meat was done enough to eat i'm dying i'm dying cried the victim and you won't get my money in spite of these agonizing cries pillemiche saw that the fire did not yet scorch the skin he drew the sticks cleverly together so as to make a slight flame on this dorgement called out in a quavering voice my friends unbind me how much do you want a hundred crowns a thousand crowns ten thousand crowns a hundred thousand crowns i offer you two hundred thousand crowns the voice became so lamentable that mademoiselle de venouille forgot her own danger and uttered an exclamation who spoke asked marchaterre the chouans looked about them with terrified eyes these men so brave in fight were unable to face a ghost pillemiche alone continued to listen to the promises which the flames were now extracting from his victim 
five hundred thousand crowns yes i'll give them cried the victim well where are they answered piamish tranquilly under the first apple-tree holy virgin at the bottom of the garden to the left you are brigands thieves ah i'm dying there's ten thousand francs francs we don't want francs said marchartere those republican coins have pagan figures which oughtn't to pass they are not francs they are a good louis d'or but oh undo me unbind me i've told you where my life is my money the four chouans looked at each other as if thinking which of their number they could trust sufficiently to disinter the money the cannibal cruelty of the scene so horrified mademoiselle de venouille that she could bear it no longer though doubtful whether the role of ghost which her pale face and the chouan superstitions evidently assigned to her would carry her safely through the danger she called out courageously do you not fear god's anger unbind him brutes the chouan raised their heads and saw in the air above them two eyes which shone like stars and they fled terrified mademoiselle de venouille sprang into the kitchen ran to dorgemont and pulled him so violently from the crane that the thong broke then with the blade of her dagger she cut the cords which bound him when the miser was free and on his feet the first expression of his face was a painful but sardonic grin apple-tree yes go to the apple-tree you brigands he said ho ho this is the second time i fooled them they won't get a third chance at me so saying he caught mademoiselle de venouille's hand drew her under the mantel-shelf to the back of the hearth in a way to avoid disturbing the fire which covered only a small part of it then he touched a spring the iron back was lifted and when their enemies returned to the kitchen the heavy door of the hiding-place had already fallen noiselessly mademoiselle de venouille then understood the carp-like movements she had seen the miser making the ghost has taken the blue with him cried the voice of marchatere the fright of the chouan must have been great for the words were followed by a stillness so profound that dorgemont and his companion could hear them muttering to themselves ave sancta anna oreca gratia plena dominus tecum etc they are praying the fools cried dorgemont hush are you not afraid they will discover us said mademoiselle de venouille checking her companion the old man's laugh dissipated her fears that iron back is set in a wall of granite two feet thick he said we can hear them but they can't hear us then he took the hand of his preserver and placed it near a crevice through which a current of fresh air was blowing she then perceived that the opening was made in the shaft of the chimney ay ay cried dorgemont the devil how my legs smart the chouan having finished their prayer departed and the old miser again caught the hand of his companion and helped her to climb some narrow winding steps cut in the granite wall when they had mounted some twenty of these steps the gleam of a lamp dimly lighted their heads the miser stopped turned to his companion examined her face as if it were a bank-note he was doubtful about cashing and heaved a heavy sigh by bringing you here he said after a moment's silence i have paid you in full for the service you did me i don't see why i should give you monsieur i ask nothing of you she said these words and also perhaps the disdainful expression on the beautiful face reassured the old man for he answered not without a sigh ah if you take it that way i've gone too far not to continue on he politely assisted marie to climb a few more steps rather strangely constructed and half willingly half reluctantly ushered her into a small closet about four feet square lighted by a lamp hanging from the ceiling it was easy to see that the miser had made preparations to spend more than one day in this retreat if the events of the civil war compelled him to hide himself 
don't brush against that wall you might whiten yourself said gargemont suddenly as he hurriedly put his hand between the girl's shawl and the stones which seemed to have been lately whitewashed the old man's action produced quite another effect from that he intended marie looked about her and saw in one corner a sort of projection the shape of which forced from her a cry of terror for she fancied it was that of a human being standing erect and mortared into the wall dorgemont made a violent sign to her to hold her tongue and his little eyes of a porcelain blue showed as much fear as those of his companion fool do you think i murdered him it is the body of my brother and the old man gave a lugubrious sigh he was the first sworn-in priest and this was the only asylum where he was safe against the fury of the chouan and the other priests he was my elder brother and he alone had the patience to teach me the decimal calculus oh he was a good priest he was economical and laid by money it is four years since he died i don't know what was the matter with him perhaps it was that priests are so in the habit of kneeling down to pray that he couldn't get accustomed to standing upright here as i do i walled him up there they'd have dug him up elsewhere some day perhaps i can put him in holy ground as he used to call it poor man he only took the oath out of fear a tear rolled from the hard eyes of the little old man whose rusty wig suddenly seemed less hideous to the girl and she turned her eyes respectfully away from his distress but in spite of these tender reminiscences dorgemont kept on saying don't go near the wall you might his eyes never ceased to watch hers hoping thus to prevent her from examining too closely the walls of the closet where the close air was scarcely enough to inflate the lungs marie succeeded however in getting a sufficiently good look in spite of her argus and she came to the conclusion that the strange protuberances in the walls were neither more or nor less than sacks of coin which the miser had placed there and plastered up End of section eleven